This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I'm here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. Susan, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello to everyone. So I think we should start this one with your history related to, um, you know, your degrees, your background, you, you know, who you used to work with, who you work with now, and then tell people how they can get in touch with you or consume your information. I'd love to. Thanks, Paul. Good morning, everybody, or afternoon or evening, whenever you're listening. Um, so my journey started uh, with a, a hobby, a real interest in exercise and nutrition. I had been a modern dancer trained at a, a dance school in New York City, but then decided I wanted to go to college. Was a biology major, still interested in health, uh, dropped into a master's degree in nutrition at Case Western Reserve University with a real interest in exercise, which there was no field of nutrition and exercise in those days. And the faculty were incredibly supportive and allowed me to pursue my own interests in my studies. I got a master's degree, became a registered dietitian, went right back to study nutrition and human performance, um, allied with the great institution down the street from Case Western Reserve University, the Cleveland Clinic Foundation, where they had a world-class sports medicine program. I was very interested in muscle building. There was virtually nothing in the research data at that time about what it takes to gain muscle strength and power. There were a lot of muscle building magazines. Arnold was big on the scene. Um, uh, we were doing research in, a lot of research was going on nationwide in departments looking at aerobic and endurance training, but almost nothing in, in strength, power, and speed. And so that was my interest. And I did at the time and still stands one of the seminal studies on uh, researching diet and risk of cardiovascular disease in anabolic steroid using and non-using competitive male bodybuilders. And that was a group of 35 athletes at uh, all championship ranked and it was a fascinating study of what they were doing with their diets and how is it affecting their body composition? What was the influence of anabolic steroids and those who were semi-clean? And we were testing, everyone brought in their garbage bags full of drugs and supplements. And it was quite, quite a study and it, it has stood the test of time. And I went on to then study female bodybuilders uh, and, um, and their risks both from diet and their and any drug use, and continued on um, faculty at Duke University, came back to Cleveland and created the first full-time nutrition program in the NFL with the original Cleveland Browns and coach Bill Belichick's first head coaching job. And that was a real eye-opener for me and quite an experience to uh, be uh, under the tutelage and mentorship of such a great coach. Um, on and on, worked with the, the uh, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cleveland Ballet, um, worked really agnostically in sports uh, with all kinds of teams, female, male, uh, uh, youth athletes, Olympic athletes, uh, masters athletes, came to Seattle, worked with the Seattle Seahawks, the, the uh, Seattle Sonics, um, the Seattle Rain, the, the continue to work with the Seattle Storm, um, hockey, the, anything you can think of. So that's the, the, that's the long story. WNBA. The, w, the WNBA champion Seattle Storm. Yes, yes. Again and again and again and again, four times. So very exciting, uh, wonderful to work with, with those ladies. And, and so today... Um, between having been an academic researcher, uh, an educator, working, having my own practice, high performance nutrition, uh, a motivator and an educator, um, and a writer and a communicator, what I love to do is translate the science of nutrition into food to give people information on the ground. What do I do? And I don't only work with elite athletes. I work with anyone who wants to enhance their performance from the locker room to the boardroom to the bedroom. 
right? So <laughs> wherever you want to be better in your life, food plays a role, your food habits play a role. Uh, and um, and so, so that's what I love talking to Paul about because, because everybody um, can feel better and can operate from how they feel to drive their food choices. Well, and then I'm Paul Nobles and I uh, founded Eat to Perform. Uh, obviously Eat to Perform says it in the name that, that we're viewing food as an ally. That's how Susan and I met um, through a mutual friend. And uh, still to this day, I think that Eat to Perform is saying things most uniquely. So, so as an example, and I'll give, you, I'll give you the one example that actually does, this is what this podcast is on. There is someone that actually sounds a lot like Eat to Perform and is really close. And we're going to walk you through, um, you know, her content, um, why that matters and why 99.5% of it is just sheer gold. Um, but there are a lot of people right now that sound like Eat to Perform that really aren't eat to perform because the, the devil's in the details. And we're going to walk you through kind of the history of eat to perform and how we know what we know, what we discovered in that process, uh, why we went down the process of 10 years of data gathering, um, and then what we see from that data, right? And uh, so the, the subject of this podcast, there's a, a, uh, so she's a cancer researcher. Um, her name's Stephanie Buttermore. And she kind of did things similar. So I have a, a, a data analysis background, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a bit. Um, but Stephanie Buttermore has what she's referring to as the all-in diet. And once again, she is probably the first person that has come on the scene that actually sounds very similar to Eat and Perform and is similar to Eat and Perform in a lot of ways. Um, I'm a little bit more familiar. You know, I don't think Susan spent, you know, three hours going down the rabbit hole of YouTube videos, but I'm very impressed with her level of information. So just as a background, if you're not familiar with her, which, you know, if you're not familiar with her, it would surprise me because truthfully uh, she has videos with, you know, 2 million views and, and things of this nature. And some of this stuff, uh, I, actually, I just haven't found much of it to be um, bad information, right? There's, there's a small bit of criticism. That'll be the thing everyone will focus on, right? Because what happens with the internet is everyone focuses on that thing. But the reality is what I'm saying is that 99. 5% of the information is correct. Stephanie basically is where Eat to Perform is seven years ago, right? And so we have seven years worth of data um, that talks about what you can do. And, and then Susan will be able to give some of her experiences in that regard. And so, so I think when you're listening to this, you have to understand that Stephanie's going to write based on her experience really from uh, her point of view, right? And, and uh, she comes from a background that looks to be either physique or bikini. I was gonna ask you, Susan, um, was when you first started and doing the research, did bikini exist? Did physique no. exist? Yeah. No. So, so, I mean, when you were looking at women's bodybuilding, you would have been looking at women that were over-consuming testosterone um, by a needle and things of this nature. And so, so um, it, it's kind of a different time, right? Right. So the, the world sort of shifted in the, in, first in, in female bodybuilding, um, going from sort of the, you know, getting further and further and further um, from the I, I, I want to say the classic media acceptable female body 
to um, a far more muscular body, something that mass media would call more masculine, right? And, and, and that took uh, women down the road of uh, having to supplement their bodies with testosterone because our bodies in general, for most women, won't do that. Um, we certainly have a range, you know, a bell curve of, of how much muscle we can accumulate on our own. And we certainly can, but there is typically an obstacle to hormone availability. And so um, then, but there were the, the, you know, sort of bantamweight, small women who had um, more of the physique look that a that mass media thought was more acceptable and the heavyweight women that looked very different and and with that split and kind of a change in the the judging um, trying to become more mass market from the subculture that bodybuilding was in um, which there were several both female and male bodybuilders who were helping shift to a more public sport, um, they, they recognized that if they adjusted the judging goals, um, they might be able to become um, uh, something that people watched, which is exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, and, and that's happening in men as well. Um, but I wanted to just um, kind of throw out that basic um, idea so that we can then delve into um, kind of some of the positives and then we'll obviously get towards um, some of the criticisms uh, towards the end. So the first video that I saw from Stephanie was on set point theory. And honestly, like Susan and I did a podcast on set point theory a few months back and it was so good. I mean, it, you would, it would have blown you away. And, and from the standpoint of a researcher, you know, like I said, my background's data analysis. Um, and I do know a little bit about being all in because I was a poker player, right? And so, so if you look at the heart of Eat to Perform, what I did was take my analysis of my data and then we started to broaden that to what has literally been hundreds of thousands of people. And so there's things that, that I know that I didn't know when I was just using myself as an example, right? Um, and certainly- yeah, I, my... I need to stop that and put an exclamation point on that. Mm -hmm. that, is so, that is so important for everyone to know that 98% of programs out there are based on the experience of one individual. Yeah, no, that's true. And, 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 and just so, so we're clear, um, that information is helpful, right? But when you start to see multiple situations, right? Obviously I'm a male, you know, and, what started to show up at Eat to Perform, what I, I thought it would be all men that would show up. And it turns out it was all women that showed up. <laughs> and so immediately I started hiring women, right? Um, women with knowledge of hormones and, and things of this nature. Like we were just talking about um, testosterone. And there's many women that are um, getting treatment for hormones that do get a small amount of testosterone to sort of help hormonal balance. Uh, you need to understand that when we talk about hormones or testosterone um, in a few minutes ago, that, that's massive <laughs> loads of testosterone compared to what you might be getting from your hormone clinic or something of that, that nature. So kind of keep that in mind because I don't want to scare you that, oh my goodness, I'm going to end up looking like a man. Trust me, you're not. <laughs> you know, the small amount of testosterone that you might be given right now for hormone balance is, is not the kind of things that we were talking about for um, uh, women bodybuilders in the 70s, right? And so um, her set point video was amazing. It was very good. Um, 
And the other video that I really liked, I'm trying to remember what, it, well, there was a few. There was one on intuitive eating that I really liked. Um, she definitely focused on, uh, you know, whole grains and the value of whole grains and things of this nature, right? Which, which is making Susan smile. Um, and, and I'm at a loss right now. Maybe I'll remember it here in a second, but there was, um, there was another one that I really liked, but the kind of basic idea of the all in diet for, for a long time, what Stephanie was doing. And, you know, once again, like the only thing that I have to go from, I don't know her personally, I've not had a conversation with her. Um, I have reached out because I do think that um, she's putting out good information and that uh, it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. But what you need to understand is that she, she kind of built this massive audience eating 10,000 calories on what, you know, our cheat days, right? And what, you know, typically isn't mentioned in those scenarios is the explosive diarrhea afterwards, maybe the vomiting, things of this nature. I know one of the, uh, the resources that she um, quotes, you know, talks about not dying at all. Um, we could have that conversation, but it's really more eating disorder related type of recovery, right? And so when we look at what uh, her background, whether it be bikini or physique or getting really super lean and things of this nature, that was the path that she was going down. Um, that's not a path that Eat Reform really tries to address. We're not trying to get to people. Now, we do have a lot of people that are very lean, that have abs, right? But they don't do it eating very low, supplementing with, with you know, maybe illegal products and things of this nature right there, or, or even legal products that, that I would consider to be, you know, fat burners, things of this nature that, that I just feel like work against the body's actual um, mechanisms. But she kind of flipped the script a little bit because she was really struggling. And so, so usually when you see, you know, I've said this before, I think I said this on a, on a video that I made this week. If you show me, um, the, the one person that's recovered from, from physique and bodybuilding, that'll be the first person I've ever seen. Right. Um, now Susan might have a different experience with that, but it does open you up to a level of disorder behavior that you might not have been previously open to before. Right. The idea of a 115 pound woman eating 10,000 calories um, and then the rest of the six days um, under consuming, you know, to any right minded person would. And I'm not trying to focus on that part as a criticism. I'm just trying to set it as the foundation of what we're talking about that the part that actually looks like eat to perform and then how it differs, right? Because I think that there's a lot of good information from the standpoint of her being a researcher, the way that she gets the information across feels very familiar to me, right? She's a, a great speaker, uh, highly produced type stuff. And so, so these are all things that are really positive as it relates to um, the narrative in health and wellness. What I think that you have to understand is that if you come from a background of an under consumer and cheat meals and things of this nature, there comes a point, you know, you almost have to think about it like any abusive relationship. It has to get so bad that you're willing to do the exact opposite, no matter what the consequences are, right? And so for the longest time, while she was presumably gaining weight, right, she would not weigh herself. Now, if you're not familiar with the way that uh, eating disorder therapy works, right, this is common because often people will obsess and, and it will result in bulimia and anorexia and things of this nature. So it's best to kind of allow the person to heal without the scale getting in the way, 
right? And whether or not that was her perspective or not, it, it's very similar to the way that a lot of eating disorders are treated in that regard, right? And then in that therapy, see, this is the one thing about eating disorders that, that an eating disorder therapy, which once again, I'm not that, Susan's not that. We've done podcasts with people that do that, but it's important for you to know that when you're being treated for an eating disorder, they're not going to say to you, yes, you need to be eating less in this scenario, right? They're going to try and build a foundation where food is an ally for your life to help you in your recovery, right? And that's an important distinction as it relates to Stephanie's journey compared to maybe a 55-year-old woman's journey, right? And so, so when you come from eating 10,000 calories a day, right, on a cheat day, and then the other six days you over-restrict, you know, obviously I don't know the calories, but they were pretty low if you look at the pictures that she would put up. Um, now all of a sudden you realize how exhausting that life would be and it allows you to actually go, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm done with that. I can't do that anymore. It takes too much for me and I need to go the other way and damn the consequences. If you have an eating disorder, I would highly encourage you to research, you know, help in your area, right? But when you have 2 million people watching videos, a good majority of those people don't have eating disorders, or maybe they have the beginnings of these types of things and their recovery from that kind of lifestyle might look very different from Stephanie's recovery where she gains 30 to 35 pounds in the process, right? And so, so when you look at the information and you go, is it scientific? It's highly scientific, it's very good, right? Um, her video on intuitive eating, I loved. The only problem with intuitive eating is that, especially if you're not weighing yourself, often it ends up not being a plan and then gives you, I intuitive eat, right? But, but when I'm looking for a specific result, and I'm talking about performance here also, right? When I'm looking to perform better, I have to measure that performance in a lot of ways, not just what I'm doing in the gym, but also the amount of food that I'm eating in that process, right? And so there's a lot of information for you to chew on. I'm gonna take a break and try and remember the other video. But like I said, I think you could watch most of Stephanie's videos and come out of it. And then once Susan kind of says her piece related to the big chunk of information that I just put out there, then we'll walk through um, kind of the criticisms I have and where I think Stephanie's message will evolve to over the next six to seven years, similar to what happened with Egypt Forum. That was great. Um, yeah, so the, when you talk about two million people watching a video, as you said, the, there's a, there's, if people are in the dieting world, there's probably going to be a higher proportion of people that are somewhere on the continuum from abnormal eating behaviors, meaning that you don't have a, uh, a diagnosable psychiatric condition, but you actually don't know what you're doing and why, uh, except for what people have told you and you've adopted habits that are, are abnormal and unhealthy. And so that's what we call abnormal eating behavior. You're teachable. <laughs> you're, not, you're not psychiatrically diagnosed with um, a disorder. All the way to people who certainly have an eating disorder or disordered eating. Uh, and so along that continuum, we, um, we talk to people differently, as, as Paul is saying, and, um, and in a more an individualized approach, or as much of a customized approach, and particularly coaching, 
becomes extremely important for all those people who are not under this psychiatric diagnosis of an eating disorder, which is actually the majority of people. And so um, starting, just starting there, knowing that a coach can help give you a framework for how you can approach eating in your own body and, and what works and doesn't work for you, both biologically, um, emotionally, as well as functionally in your own life where you have obstacles and, and all working through or working around, those things are critical to creating a sustainable plan. And, and if you don't have an eating disorder, you, all of us do better with a coach, I can tell you that. And, and, and for those who do have an eating disorder, you do need to go for professional help. This information that she is putting out, which I am going, you know, full disclosure, I have never seen. I have no idea um, what she's doing, but um, from what Paul is informing me and listening to this is a good way to maybe assess yourself, maybe put up some red flags that you say, huh, maybe I used to do what she's talking about, or I'm on my way to doing that because the crowd around me, the, the people that I'm associating with in the gym, they're all doing that. And typically what draws people to a particular sport can be a number of things. And what made, you know, what we know in, in the physique and, and bodybuilding world as two things. One is you become attracted to that world because you're comfortable in the community that is doing those kind of restrictive behaviors. You're comfortable with strict rules around the way you live uh, and, and or you may not be that person. It was really interesting. You think it's really cool, but then there may be triggers within that world where you can slide into, you know, first, as I said, abnormal eating behaviors all the way to disordered eating. So I think the best transition to um, this next phase of what we're going to talk about is you telling the story of the bodybuilder that came to you and then went to another coach and, and just kind of the differences and just how, um, how, how sometimes messages seem more appealing in the moment, but then that, that becomes a, a negative over time. So why don't you walk people through that? So, so uh, a woman who had been a, a, a very competitive female bodybuilder uh, as a young woman now had, had retired. Uh, she is an executive in, um, uh, in a corporation. I mean, she's a highly functioning, highly successful woman, uh, a businesswoman, um, came to me saying, I, I know that my, my eating habits are really messed up from having lived for, you know, a decade plus as a competitive female bodybuilder. Um, how do I get to normal? And she was then in her, I'd say probably mid forties and her physiologically, she was a mess. You know, she, she, her hormone levels were all out of whack. She was, you know, we know, probably perimenopause, but it was awfully hard. She probably hadn't had a period in a long time, um, even when she should have been um, within her menstrual cycle. And so um, she, she wanted to get back to health. And so we, uh, we created a plan for her. And, she, and, and my approach always, this was not a woman who would have a psychiatric diagnosis. I do not work with people who are in the throes of eating disorders. I leave that to registered dietitians who specialize in that, but this was clearly not that. This was bad habits that she needed to unwind um, from and, and, and needed to re-educate herself. And that was my role. So we started down that path and letting go of, of restrictions and, that she had in her mind and thinking about 
cooking and developing a relationship with food herself, which is a critical part of all of this, and not having just food delivered and always having your very specific portions and, and just not beginning to have a relationship with food in a fundamental physical way is a critically important step. And so she, she just, you know, she tried it for about two months and said, I can't do this. And she then went on to sort of a, you know, um, a pre-planned food delivery diet program uh, and left everything that I was working with on, with her. And she did that for a few months. Then I said to her, she called me and I, and I sent her to a physician here in Seattle who specializes in really it's, it's obesity and morbid obesity and trying to understand dysfunctional hormones in that setting. Um, but she also works with some of these women who have ended up with dysfunctional hormones and what I call a broken uh, peripheral metabolic pathway who have been um, longtime res food restrictors. And that approach is to gain a lot of weight that the only way, and there's sort of some medical data that supports that you need to really just eat and gain between 35 and 50 pounds, maybe up to 60 pounds, to finally get everything to resync and work again. And so she started down that road and, and it made her crazy. It was, I mean, that's, that's not a very diagnostic term. It was very uncomfortable and she said, I can't do this. I knew nothing about all of this, two years went by. And she came back to me and said, I wish I would have just stuck with your program. Can we start again? And so um, she, two years had gone by. She had, she had been all over the place and then finally did say, I am ready for the slow and steady. And that's, that's what we did. And she is now doing very well. It's, it's many, many years later. Uh, she's a grandmother and, and healthy, still rides her bike with her, young, with her son. She, she is still very, very physically active and very fit, um, but enjoys food and we have gotten to that place. But it took individual coaching, working, her own experience, and hands-on tactile work with food. And I think that the one size fits all approach, even if it's a better approach than what some others are doing, is still not a fit. It's this, the idea of using the data that Paul has accumulated, um, looking at all sorts of people in all kinds of categories, and, and then having the coaching on top of that is critically important because that's what we use. We use an accumulated knowledge of science and practice to understand the person that we're working with. So that's a great introduction. Um, I do remember the other video now that we were talking about it. Um, it was on diet breaks and reverse dieting in general and kind of walking people through what that concept looks like. And it was very, very good. Um, one of the best I've seen in that regard, her ability to communicate her background as a cancer researcher um, certainly allows for her to look at data differently than the average person would look at that data, right? And so um, the other thing that I think is important to mention related to Stephanie, she sells some programs and things of this nature. Um, and like, if you look at her right now at 30 to 35 pounds, you know, I, I certainly am not in the business of judging people, but I think aesthetically, right, most people would go, okay, she looks great, right? Um, a lot of people look at the before and go, well, she looked better or, or now she looks worse or now she looks better. You know, those types of judgments, like I really don't, don't, I don't think those are healthy for the consumer, to be completely honest with you, like people um, judging other people's physique is is something that actually um, bothers me quite a bit, right? Because, it, you know, especially when men do it related to women, um, I don't think the women need, you know, your opinion on that, right? One way or the other. And, <laughs> and so... An understatement. Um, yeah. 
And so, um, so in the criticism, I just want to say something that, that Susan just emphasized, right? That the person, the most correct approach for this person probably was to gain 40 pounds, right? In Stephanie's example, I think she uses 30 to 35 pounds. Um, if you were asking me what's the best way to do it, I would say that's the best way to do it by far, right? Is that mentally the best way to do it though? See, this is where I need to walk people through the evolution of Eat to Perform, right? Because what you have to understand as it relates to eating disorders that is that sometimes death is on the table, right? And I'm absolutely certain Susan is, is aware. Um, I certainly have seen it where people have crossed our paths that have eating disorders and have passed away. So you need to understand that there's some serious stuff going on here mm -hmm. and that, that, you know, when you consume information, two million people at a time, you're reading it without knowing that there was somebody with death on the line previously. I'm not saying right. that that was Stephanie's situation, but I am saying that there are people that consume this information that it triggers something within them that is very, very difficult. So I want to be very clear that gaining 30 to 35 pounds might actually be the best path physiologically, but mentally it might not make sense for everyone. And then of course, when you're 29, you would have more testosterone, even as a female to kind of build muscle, especially if you've been restricted for quite some time and it's going to allow you um, to uh, maybe have some progress that you're really happy about and and you know she's she's obviously very comfortable in her body which is great you know um, what I want to say is that we need to perform first started we were information very similar to Stephanie um, and and people were like you should write a book very similar to Stephanie right Stephanie's on the fifth chapter of her book right now um, that she's writing and that will be coming out and presumably it's going to be called the all-in diet. So I wanted to talk a little bit. I think I brought this up in the last um, comment because I also went all in, right? So when I first started pre-dating Eat to Perform, I was all in, right? I had, I had a history of dieting unsuccessfully. Every single time I would lose, you know, 50, 75, 100 pounds, you know, well, actually at a hundred pounds, I was able to kind of fix it. Uh, but at 50 to 75, it was very common to gain the weight back with interest, right? And previous to that, I did not have exercise as a main component of my life. So it was fairly obvious once I got to be a hundred pounds overweight that uh, exercise could play a big role because I had seen that calories themselves just weren't working. Right. I tried keto. I tried intermittent fasting. I tried really all of these things that are actually very popular right now. This was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Right. So they're cyclical for, for all of you that don't know this. Susan, of course, knows this. So early on, uh, you know, I was eating 5000 calories a day. Uh, I started blogging about it. I don't know if you know this, Susan, but my initial blog was called Your Diet Sucks. Right. Um, and and I wasn't necessarily saying that dieting necessarily can't be a component, um, which I think is 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 too far. Right. Um, that that sometimes managing weight happens and that's fine. Um, but what I was saying is that the way that people were dieting was fundamentally wrong right? They were putting too much emphasis on calories and, and things of this nature. And so people just ate that information up, right? So, so like I said, Stephanie's got 2 million views. We have 1.5 million followers. How did we get 1.5 million followers? Saying the stuff Stephanie's saying. So I understand the value of the message that she's saying. I know for a fact that she has a good 
intention in the way that she's saying it, right? So what happened was as we were giving out information and writing books and trying to put pieces together and things of this nature, what we found was that not everybody was getting it. Um, we had a lot of people that did get it, right? So a lot of people um, were, you know, we were dealing with CrossFit games and Olympians and all these types of people that were doing really, really good with the concept of Ethan Reform. And your average CrossFitter, even some people that weren't CrossFitters, um, many people who are, you know, our foundation to this day, um, effort allowed them to take control of their life, right? And it was somewhat irrespective of food, right? Because uh, once we started to get specifics, there was an area, uh, an era of eat the reform where we had what were called trend sheets. And, and in the trend sheets, they were sort of a uh, beta of what our app would look like eventually, right? And we would get the data so that a coach could look at the data very quickly and then make assumptions. And, and the, the more, uh, the better the data that we had, the better the assumptions we could make, right? And we, we found that um, really almost all the time, right? Whenever people would kind of do their own thing, um, there was, I mean, I guess I can talk about it right now. The, the, we're talking about women eating 3,000 calories, women eating 4,500 calories that are very active. Um, regular, you know, housewives that are doing workouts in their basement are eating 26 to 2,800 calories. And that's, that still forms the, the majority of eating performers to this day, right? Um, as we started to get those specifics and we moved to the app, we definitely challenged the top end, right? So, so what Stephanie is doing and the videos that she's talking about right now, she's pushing homeostasis at the top end, which is very unique. See, there's a lot of places that sound like Stephanie and that sound like Eat to Perform but they aren't, right? Because they sound food friendly. But when you get to the details and you start asking them about the calories, it's not 2,600 and 2,800 where people are weight stable. They're keeping people weight stable at 1,400. So the potential for that person in the gym or on the field or whatever is much less than it would be if they were eating a normal amount. When you know, some CrossFit Games athletes come out and make videos saying that they're eating 2,200 calories. It's gotten to the point where the public knows that's bullshit, right? Um, or the person genetically has some advantages that they're actually using and they're about to hit a wall. The majority of the time, you have to understand that, that when we're talking about influencers when we're talking about you know um monetizing your brand you're not going to try and monetize your brand talking to someone about something like eating 4,000 calories a day right amanda barnhart is a great example where she's very open about the fact that she eats lauren fisher um you know, uh, is another one that is very good about this, where she's very open about the amount of calories that she eats. Um, and it's usually in the 3,500 to 4,000 range. So when you hear a CrossFit Games athlete saying that they eat 2,200, it doesn't pass the sniff test, but I need you to remember why they're saying it, right? They're trying to sell you on a concept of the supplements they're selling and all these other things that are important parts of their brand but they also don't want to scare the shit out of you that they actually have pizza more than once a week, right? They, they, when they go to Chipotle, they're not always adding in all those calories because it would scare you. Right. And it's not going to make you want to buy their um, apple vinegar 
uh, uh, gummies, right? And all these other things that, that are, are how they're monetizing their brand at that time. So when we were really pushing people on the, on the high end, and we, we still do that, um, the difference, I would say, in audience um, is that our audience is very broad. And I just want to stop for just a second and say, when you do what Amanda's doing, what we do, what Lauren Fisher does, it's very brave because you're saying it knowing that you're costing yourself money, right? You know that if you adjusted your message to what people wanted to hear, you could actually get more money, but you're being insincere, right? And, and that's where I think what Stephanie is doing is very, very brave. And I really want everyone to understand that um, I am a big fan of her messaging. But when we get to this last piece, I just want everybody to know it's not necessary to gain 30 to 35 pounds. And the reason why I know it is because we have millions upon millions upon millions of pieces of data to show it. What Susan described was basically this process where you can fix it all at once, which once again, if you're in a situation, don't come to Susan and I to help you with your eating disorder, right? If it's a life or death matter, check yourself into the emergency room, get the help you need, right? But what we often see is that people who might have binge type of behavior that maybe, you know, have embraced the idea of cheat meals. I think everybody's familiar with my, my thought process on cheat meals. Um, it's bad to cheat on your wife. It's bad to cheat on your taxes. It's bad to cheat on all these things. So you're really kind of going down a dark rabbit hole when you say you're going to cheat on the way that you eat. Right. And I think that that's why we don't use that language. We think that that language actually sets up a, a negative relationship with food and it's very harmful. And I can tell you right now that if you're getting a plan from a bodybuilder, they are very ingrained in this idea. Uh, I've challenged many bodybuilders, physique, bikini type people, and they will not give up the label. And I don't know why. I think it's just because that's what worked for them and, and therefore they're going to go with, with that process, right? But I'm just telling you, stay away from messaging. And if it means that you're working with a client that is fast forward with cheat meals, you have to think to yourself, am I comfortable going down this particular negative rabbit hole? Right, because if you're making lists of foods and things of this nature, um, that is very, very dysfunctional behavior. While if you think about it, right, like like think of it like you were cheating on your spouse, right? If you were thinking about the other person all of the time, it's just going to happen, folks. You're gonna get divorced, right? If you go down this path to entertain all these foods that you actually want to eat, you really need to find a lifestyle and a way of doing things that allow you to have that flexibility. And what I'm about to describe to you is how we did it, right? So within that data, what we found was people could get to a place. Now I'm going to tell you, once again, I'm, I'm telling you as the owner and founder of Eat Reform, it's much better for you if you get your calories back to normal faster. We know this, we have way too much data that shows us this, right? This is not even a question, right? The problem with that scenario, more often than not, is that once you open that door, then the trip to Vegas door gets opened, then the trip to Cheesecake Factory gets opened, and then all of a sudden, instead of consuming the amount of calories that you could, you kind of test this idea and you find out once you test it, that when you're eating mostly whole grains, when you're eating protein in, in a good amount, when you're eating 
um, a, a good amount of carbohydrates, mostly starches, um, that, that your body actually performs better and consumes those better than they do um, tequila, right? Or, or cheesecake or ice cream, right? And, and so uh, when we talk about someone taking a meal plan like that Susan's writing for her, for that person, or that we've written for someone and pre prescribing the macros along the way. The big thing as your macros are going up is that your body is not ready for, you know, if you're coming from a restricted way of eating, you know, four and 5,000 calories. And a lot of times, I mean, it's very common for someone to, uh, you know, we actually do not recommend um, as, as just a program that someone diet going into vacation. We actually reverse them way before vacation so that their body is actually mm -hmm. ready to take in the food. Now, what happens in that yes. scenario is that, yes, the person might still gain weight, but that three to five pounds usually ends up being mostly water weight and you can kind of deal with it every now and again, you know, when we're talking about thousands upon thousands of clients, right? So we see it all. What happens every now and again is a vacation sneaks up on somebody and then they gain 10 pounds, right? Because they did not share it with their coach and what ends up happening is they're coming from this restricted background and then they open the door and they can't close it. Right. And that's, that's sort of how cheat meals work. Right. Like what you, what you realize is you first start thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm going to have pizza that night. And then it just turns into, to, you know, this 10,000 calorie type thing that you just can't control because you've been eating in a restricted way. And there's a lot of physiological processes that you can't control um, that really just won't allow you to stop. Um, and your logical brain uh, can't really help you in this instance a lot of the time, especially with alcohol. When you bring in alcohol, all bets are off, right? That's just my experience as a coach. And it is somewhat anecdotal in that regard. So 100%, the better approach is to normalize calories as fast as possible. The problem is, is that if you're a 35 to 55 year old woman and you've been dieting since you were 15 and your body is down-regulated in a lot of cases, your hormones have been affected as it relates to all of that dieting, mentally, you might not be ready for what is physically the better approach, right? So this is why, and, and this is, I strongly believe that Stephanie will make the pivot the way that we made the pivot. There comes a point when you have a message like Stephanie has and like we have, where you realize that your information it's not helping without specifics. And it would not surprise me, you know, especially given the amount of resources she's probably gonna have once she starts selling her book and things of this nature, that she's gonna go down the path we went, right? Where you get more specifics and you start to create plans that allow for um, measures and controls so that mentally you can get the client to a place where they can consume the information, but physically uh, it's not triggering them for depression and mental things that, that they can't handle in that moment, right? So, so if you're ever in the Eat to Perform forums, if you become an Eat to Perform client, what you will often hear is that the, the tendency to binge goes away right? Because you're properly fed the good majority of the time, right? Even in, even in our fat loss cycles, um, which is going to be the next podcast that we'll do, what you realize is that these are very acute, right? And because 
you know, and this is one thing, once again, you know, that's a small criticism, you know, of, of what Stephanie's talking about. She's just not, yep. She's just not, you know, had the experience yet, um, had the complaints of, hey, you know, uh, this 30 pounds, it's really messing with my brain. You know, all these different types of things. And so, so these are things that you sort of have to keep in mind as you go, right? But um, it might not be 100% the best approach, but it might be mentally the approach that the client needs, right? And so I think we covered that, right? I, I think consume the information. It's very good information, but you have to understand that if you're not working a coach specifically and you think you can take that information, even if you're sick and tired of dieting, counting calories and all these other type of things, I would challenge you to, to, to go, have I counted calories on the way up, right? Because it's a big difference when you're, let's say that you've been eating 1100 calories, right? Super restricted, plateaued for six to nine months, right? And then your calories are at 2,500 over time, right? Where you gradually reverse out of that place and you're adding food back in. It's not, it's nowhere near as burdensome, right? When you're adding in foods that you enjoy. And so that, that, that release that you feel you need to go to intuitive dieting or stay away from calorie, calorie counting do yourself a favor and work with someone who knows what they're doing reverse, uh, related to reverse dieting that isn't so all in, right? The one thing that I didn't mention, and I'll let Susan close the show, um, is that one of the things I've learned with Eat to Perform, and I, I definitely learned this as one of the top poker players in the world, um, is that being all in is overrated being all in actually puts you at more risk for huge swings. When you look at the best poker players in the world, we're rarely all in, right? The concept of either perform, you're rarely all in. What you're, what you're, you're doing is you're, you're working the small edges to get to where you want to go eventually. And it does go against the quick fix idea you know, and, and things of this nature, but it's also the better approach. And Susan described that earlier. So Susan, I know you're short on time, but why don't you uh, say the final words? So, so to echo what you, you finished with is the idea that food should become seamless in your life, right? That you, after, when you have a plan, you start with a plan, you learn that plan, you do start out maybe in the very beginning all in, very focused, but then you just know it. And so when you shop and you cook and you eat, you have, you, you know what your plate should look like. You know what you should feel like when you finish eating. You know what you feel like when you need to eat. You know how you feel two hours later. And those are the internal drivers that then you, you're not thinking about food all the time um, or your body all the time. You're just living. And that, for my clients who are championship sports performers, is the best way for them to be successful that they're not thinking about food while they're exercising. If they're hungry and thinking about chocolate cake while they're out on a trail running, it means they're under fueling. They shouldn't be dreaming about food. When they're eating, they're not restricting and freaking themselves out. They are celebrating and enjoying what they're doing and the hard work that they've accomplished. They're having um, you know, close relationships and conversations with the people that they are with. They're able to express themselves in their creative lives, um, spiritual lives. They have other parts of their lives and the relationships where they're not constantly focused on thinking about food. That is disordered. That is unhealthy. And so working toward mental and physical health, toward the body inside and outside, uh, that you want takes having a plan, learning, 
and then incorporating that just into sort of your life as I want to say, in a seamless way that when you need to think about food, like shopping and planning and cooking, you do. And at the rest of the time of your day, you're not thinking about food. And I think that is what Eat to Perform does so well, that, that these sort of long-term Eat to Perform folks just know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate... Um... You taking the time to do this. It went a little bit longer than we, we thought we were hoping to do actually two today, but we'll get to the other one. And actually I'll be a little bit farther in the information that I'm gonna present anyway. So that will be helpful. Um, so Susan, have a great weekend and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye now. You too, Paul, thanks, bye.